Hello and welcome back to Broken Oars Podcast. You are about to hear an interview with the brilliant, the enigmatic, the absolutely wonderful Zeno Muller, Olympic single skulls champion, Olympic silver medalist in the single skulls, and now one of the most respected and sought after high performance coaches in the entire world. If Loon and I are being honest, We've never quite met another rower or character like Zeno. He is a force of nature. He is wise beyond words. And anyone who is interested in moving a boat backwards down a river, whether they are a rower or a coach, or anyone who's simply interested in the magic and the sorcery and the science and the art of high performance, will take something away from our conversation with him. We'd just like to remind you before it starts that if you want to check out our Buy Me A Coffee page, we have added more value to Broken Oars podcast in terms of training programs, in terms of training widgets, and in terms of things that you can read. You can also check out some of my musings and thoughts about rowing on the landingstage.net website. And also with Christmas coming and the goose is getting fat, please put a penny in Broken Oars hat you can get a copy of Gavin Jimison's fantastic book about the life of Jumbo Edwards, double Olympic gold medal winner, RAF pilot, and man who crammed a lot into his years by going to Troubadour and using the code Broken Oars to receive a discount. It's a fantastic book, and I'm sure that you'll enjoy it. Also check out Zeno's webpage and what he does. All of this is accompanied in the show notes. Please listen to this and enjoy. You guys got okay. Listen, guys. One of the problems with coaches, rowing coaches, is they do not embrace the fact that the rowers that they coach may be more intelligent than they themselves. Now, it could be a cultural thing, okay? You know, you have coaches who will tell rowers how to row because they have a vision and they don't think outside of the box. No matter how brilliant the student is, granted, a maturity level and you cannot make up years when they're not there, right? But as a seasoned coach, you have to realize that there's always a certain different way to describe something. Mm -hmm. And if you're open, if you're open to listening to people come in new with new, new, new excitement, because every new rower is excited. It's like a little kid who's discovering the world. If you can feel that and sense that you as a coach, become better because you don't you don't get stale in your way of thinking and so that's one of the things when i just heard that both of your phds and the fields that you guys are in is like oh my gosh it's like i want to ask you questions i mean i know you guys are going to ask me questions right but but just the two fields that you guys are in it's like okay oh my gosh how can i how can i apply this to what I, how can I, how can you two make me a better coach immediately? Right? That's how that's how thirsty I am to get outside information 
knowing full well that what what that the coaching that I got from Harry Mann and who who taught Cambridge people, there's a reason why Cambridge is still best, okay? So Harry was coaching there. And Harry taught a very, very, very minimalistic stroke. And so that's, I have, that's in me. I mean, Harry, as much as I want to sometimes strangle Harry, Harry is like, Harry, I love you. I'm sorry I got mad at you a few times, but but he taught me a lot. But what what is amazing is what you can still add from outside knowledge to become a better communicator for a rower, understanding the psychology better, you know? Okay, shoot with your first question, guys. Okay, right. The, the, the Harry Mahone thing, I didn't know, but it's like, okay, you spent, in my opinion, the best decade in human history doing one of the most fun things in human history was essentially making boats go fast backwards. What, in, in that, it's like, given that we, we, we don't have all evening, but what was your, what was your best lesson from doing that? Okay. There came a point where I fully understood the breathing while I was rowing. Okay. And what's interesting about breathing is that either they teach the wrong way of breathing or they don't teach the right breathing or they don't teach breathing at all. Okay. Once I figured out the breathing, rowing and gliding applying power to accelerate the boat past the blades became a i was able to go deeper into my flow into my state of flow the breathing became part of what dictated my stroke rate okay so instead of instead of instead of thinking about okay you're going to rate 20 you think okay i need to breathe so i can row stroke at 20. and then of course you you start extrapolating this to a higher stroke rate and then you start put on put on your science brain right and you say to yourself okay i can literally stay alive by only breathing three times a minute Okay, uh, probably even less, right? So why the bloody hell am I supposed to breathe 45 times when I row a race at the higher stroke? It just makes no sense, okay? Now I know I'm going into the weeds already and I, I said to you guys, I don't wanna go into the weeds because I don't wanna give anything away, right? <laughs> but but that this one, is, this one is actually really important, right? It's important because you can extrapolate that into real life, okay? So if you row, let's say, 35 strokes a minute, do you really need to breathe more often than 35 times a minute, right? No, you don't. So all this double breathing crap that the juniors do, 
or even later on the recovery and and it it's not necessary okay it's not necessary so there are two two people are going to respond to this Zena, what are you talking about that's how we've always done it and this is how it's going to work or someone's going to say oh it's kind of interesting but then when do you breathe right the most important to understand is that if you do want to lift the heavy weight off the ground, like a deadlift, you are, you're holding your breath, but when you row, you're not doing a deadlift, you're suspended off your bones, right? So do you really need to hold your breath when you drive the legs, right? So it's interesting. When you, when you look at um, a guy like Zach Purchase, Mm. There was there's this footage of him early in the morning, right? And the coach, and I hope Zach's ears are ringing hard. Okay, you see Zach rowing along. I'll just say this: you guys, whoever is listening, go find that footage of Zach rowing along in that early morning. Think about the breathing. And it'll it everything will make more sense, okay? But when I saw him, when I saw that footage, I said, "Oh my gosh, yes, of course they're fast," because their coach, I think it was Robin Williams, right? Robin Williams was friends with Harry Mann. Did you guys know that? Mm -hmm. Didn't uh, know the link. Did you, I, okay, I, hold on. I kind of know some of the links through a guy I know called James Knight. Harry. Robin Williams. And then who's the guy who's in um who's in China? But uh, Redgrave took him with him. Paul Thompson. What's the name Paul okay. yeah, Paul yeah. Thompson. Guys, Harry Mann. Harry! The bearded man from New Zealand. That's the lineage. You can trace it down. Rob Waddell was coached by Harry Mann. I know this is already 23 years ago. But what I'm saying is fast cruise. Harry, okay, how about this one? The St. Paul's high school crew that won Henley in 2017 or 18? Yeah. yeah if, there's, a, there's a crew from St. Paul's, a high school. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no, guys, I had no clue. I just turned it on and said, okay, Henley, yeah, drone footage. That's cool. I would have loved having a drone following me when I won Henley, right? I watched that schoolboys race and I got shivers. I got goosebumps because I said, this can't be possible. I look at a team that I thought was a carbon copy of the 2000 Olympics when Britain won the gold medal in Sydney carbon copy at right now i mean i'm such a passionate person it's really easy for me to get certain goosebumps but right now i have goosebumps telling me this because you guys over there in great britain there's so much rowing history and harry and and and, and redgrave and pinson and everyone okay bobby thatcher is the coach at st paul's i don't know if he still is the coach at st paul's but guys guys bobby thatcher was coached by Harry Mann. Arguably, Bobby Thatcher should probably have been in that eight. Who knows? It's, it's making me mad to this day. Bobby, I love you, but um, 
but it's it's too good not to tell, right? So you have someone who's taught by Harry, who produced a high school team that broke all the records in that age. And I look at it, I'm thinking, holy cow, this is this is this is this is the stuff Olympic gold medals are made of. I can't be the only person in Great Britain who's a rowing enthusiast who didn't say the same thing. It had to be more than more than just me. I don't know. I don't talk to any of you people because I do other things, right? Except we found each other on Twitter. Okay. Next question. <laughs> Can I just jump in, Lewin? Yeah, go for it. Yes. Just, just, and I know that because we don't have much time. With, first of all, the breathing thing. I know you don't want to give much away, but I've right, been, right, 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 but right. I've, I've been coaching this about using using exhalation on the drive to engage the core and to engage the drive, and using inhalation on the recovery at lower rates to to really connect with the boat on that sense. But the question that I want to ask is, um, I'm getting a sense from you. You've already talked about rowing the boat past the blade in the water, which is which is an old school concept that doesn't seem to be taught now. So it's all about locking the blade in the water, pressure on the pin. You've talked about Harry. You've talked about Redgrave. Redgrave, Redgrave came from Spracklin. Spracklin also, yeah, yeah. Taught, Spracklin also taught Pete Holmes, who was our old coach, do you have a sense that the fundamentals of the rowing stroke and building a crew, there is a simplicity and an art to it, and we've maybe overcomplicated it with the plethora of strength and conditioning coaches and, and technique coaches and, and, and performance coaches and institutes. Do you have a very simple, pure feel for the stroke? Yes, because if you dumb it down, to the most important part of the rowing stroke, to move a boat is make sure that bloody blade goes in before the handle moves back to bow. Okay? Yep. Keep that blade in the water because if that blade, okay, here comes another one, right? If the, if the bloody blade comes out of the water, watch what the bow does. As soon as you lose pressure of the water against the blade, the bow goes into the water. How many, how many people are videotaped with the bow sinking down into the water while the handle is still moving to bow? If is the handle moves to bow, it's dry. If the blade is in the water and it's dry, there shouldn't be enough weight for the bow to sink down. <laughs> you're talking okay. about yeah, gonna... you're talking about connection all the way through. The bow should be coming yes. up. The bow should be on the drive phase. It shouldn't be coming down. Right. You're losing the connection and right. the blade coming out. So look, I'll just I'll just I have too much fun. Okay. How many, how many times? Will we look at a feathering that's part of the movement of the handle going to bow? Why? Why is it that it is so complicated? 
for coaches to realize that if it's a feather, it's part of the recovery. Now, they could always say this, right? You could always say, well, you cannot just make one and the other. It's all kind of a blend. Fine. There is a gray area. There is a gray area. We're not just going like this, like that, right? It's not. But if you do a slow motion study and you look, they're feathering into the finish and they can do it really well, okay? You can have people feather into the finish and do a really clean job and not throw water and, you know, and, and, it, and people don't see it, right? But when you have someone who probably is existence, life existence dependent on rowing as fast as possible, who now has a beard and speaks in English with an accent, you start thinking, holy mackerel, I better have that blade into the water and that the feathering is part of the recovery because I don't want the feathering part be of the drive because what's the point in moving the handle to bow when it's not going to move the boat? Okay, that's one thing. I know there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we're going to talk about. Now, Drew Ginn, okay, he really, he really did a number. When he when he when he posted a YouTube video, that, <laughs> what makes the boat move faster? And holy shit, he said, "Well, <laughs> you can pause at the finish, and then you kind of accelerate into the catch." That's how. Okay, you know, when you know how to put the blade in the water at the right time, you're golden. Why not? This sounds very good. How many people missed the catch because they took him word for word, pause at the finish, then kind of kind of go into the catch a little faster to pick up the boat a little bit faster, miss the water, and then and then when the stroke rate goes up, the pause at the finish is completely gone. And then, and then you start saying, yes. And then you start saying, why the freak do you guys even do a damn pause at the finish? Well, but see, this is where coaches are really funny. They will find an explanation for everything. Well, we're pausing at the finish to let the boat run and find the balance of the boat on keel. That's a bunch of hogwash. Okay, my opinion. I, in my opinion, the recovery starts once you completed the forward body angle. Okay? Once you complete the forward body angle, the center of gravity of your upper body is between the hip and the ankles. And then you have downward pressure on the heels and you can control the, the boat with one or the other foot slightly further down. See, I speak out of frustration at the moment. So this is uh, this is where I get myself into danger, dangerous zone. Okay. Now maybe maybe the, someone's going to say, "Holy cow, we need to hire Zeno for this." But it, I'm in a dilemma, right? Because what I do, what I do on the erg, right? I I mostly coach people on the erg, right? But when you row the erg well, you can get it into the water. I cannot believe 
how much bad erging technique there is. And then you put the same people into the boat and they look a lot better. Why? Well, at the end of the handle of an oar, you have the water dictating where the handle height is supposed to be because you want to bury the blade under the surface of the water. Okay. Now on the earth, there is no handle. So why all of a sudden does the movement of the handle have to go completely out the window and you don't follow what you're doing in the boat? You need to bring the technique of the boat to the earth. And if it doesn't match up, then you have to really scratch yourself and say to yourself, okay, wait a minute. Here in the United States, they spent almost two and a half months on the earth with some of the top schools, the Ivy League schools. They're not allowed to go on the water, okay, just because some schools are frozen in, etc. So you have a whole bunch of people erging. And they erg not like they row. So the muscle memory or the or the brain to muscle uh, communication is completely off. And then you go back into the boat and well, you didn't really train your lats because you were breaking your elbows down, pointing to the ground and it was a bicep straw or a reverse or a bicep straw. And that's how you then have to figure out how to be efficient in the, on the water. The, the, the utter lack of understanding how to properly erg affects how people row on the water. You know, anyhow, what else do you have? You've got to go, Lewin, because otherwise I will sit here and talk about technique all night. You've got to get in with some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to get in with a bit of physiology. The first thing you yes. said, said to us is like overtraining. Okay. Yeah. How, why is it such a danger? How do we avoid it? Do we train less? Do we train slower? And if we are rowing slowly to build speed when do we learn to row fast okay overtraining only becomes a danger if you start in a way peeing blood um losing weight psychologically you get you get uh sad and depressed okay that's danger right for the purpose of competition Overtraining is really bad because you want to win races, right? So, so, I, so then you have to go down to the cellular level. Okay, we all have read the mice on the treadmill, and when they're doing interval training, or if they row, if they run steady, or if they do nothing. And then, and then you look, you, they, they, they take the muscle biopsy and they look at the mitochondria in the, in the muscle cell. And then you say to yourself, okay, more mitochondria, more speed. So let's pump the muscle cell full of bloody mitochondria. Do we really need to push people over the edge, make them puke, make them train 20 million times a week? No, you don't, right? Now, sure, there is an element of psychological toughness that does come with hard practices. But do we need to do 10 times something hard where you start thinking, well, if I do it 10 times, maybe I won't go as hard every single time? So you start to manage your pain so that you can last 10 times the crazy crap? 
why not say, okay, we'll do it twice. And we're going to go as hard as bloody possible. And that'll be enough because, you know, we'll do it next week again. That gives the opportunity for you to mentally say, yeah, I don't have to survive 10 times that, but I've got two. So overtraining is done very easily. Can it be avoided? Yes. We have all the science in the world that tells you how to do it. So now comes Spracklin, the low stroke rate, and how does Sam Heck can we have a higher stroke rate uh, capable? Okay. I'm already, I already have red flags and think I can't say these things. But the one thing is really normal. Okay. So Spracklin has people rowing at stroke rate 16 as hard as they can. Some people will blow their backs out. Some people will get really a lot stronger. All right. The, the foolproof thing that Spracklin did, Spracklin's still alive? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's touch and go at the moment, but yeah. Okay. We love you, Mike. So I wasn't coached by him, but the fact that I can talk about Mike Spracklin, there's love for Mike Spracklin because you can possibly have lactate that pours out of your ears if you row at 16 strokes a minute. So it does two things. He avoids driving the lactate too high and two, he recruits muscle fiber. By pushing as hard as possible in the water, he recruits muscle fiber. It may look ugly, but these guys, these Canadians, they were tough as freaking tough can be. The, the ones whose spine, who, who spine kept stayed together, right? And then the question is, then, then the other fundamental is make the stroke as long as possible, keep the blade in the water, even if you pull up to your even if you pull up to your chin, as long as the blade is in the water, you're going to be faster in your pair than the other people that you've been racing every single day at stroke at 16. And then the last people standing, okay, guys, we're going to row an eight. And then we'll win the Olympic gold medal. Okay. That's the, I mean, I would have probably my spine would probably have broken in 10 different places. Okay. I wouldn't have made it through that. Okay. Um, so then comes the question about the higher stroke rate. Well, what is the hardest thing to figure out in the higher stroke rate? It's not necessarily the catch. Now let's just talk technically, right? What is it? Well, quarter slide rowing. Can you cover everything in quarter slide rowing that you can? Rowing quarter slide is the most difficult thing to do. You have no time. <laughs> you have no time to do anything wrong. Because if you do it wrong, you miss the water at quarter slide. So, you know, you can row arms only, upper body and arms only, quarter slide, half slide. If you figure out the timing of catching, feathering, body angle forward, dragging the boat under with your hamstrings because you have the forward body angle. If you, if you know how to do this well, if you know how to catch as the handle travels to stern at a very high rate, all of a sudden, the technique won't be the problem. Because a lot of people have a technical problem placing the blade in the water the higher that, the higher that stroke rate goes. But if you train, if you train the mechanics, 
<laughs> okay. One last thing about that. Ask your rowers to mimic with their hands what the blade is supposed to be doing. How is the blade supposed to be work? Use your hand as the face of the blade. Show me what that looks like. It's going to be really funny for you guys to run that um, test because you're going to say, oh my gosh, I don't know the percentage, but there's going to be a significant amount of people who, who never thought about mimicking what the hand is supposed to do if it were a blade. What's interesting about that is you, if you branch out, you start thinking about pilots, okay? They're toy planes. They, were, they, were, they had toy planes and sticks to figure out what their maneuver is supposed to be. Why can't rowers do that with their hands? And you know what? Once you teach them, once you teach them, they'll never forget it. And here's another one last thing. If everyone is supposed to pretty much know what they look like when they row, why aren't there more mirrors in herb rooms? Why, why don't people study themselves more? <laughs> I, uh, wait, wait here. <laughs> yeah, I basically, I, I learned my rowing stroke by having a mirror in front, a mirror at the side, and pieces of tape yeah. at the various I, I points where the mirror was supposed to be. Can I ask a question while Lewin is putting his mirror back? Do you, I'm getting the sense, you know, that you see rowing, you see it in technical terms as a coach. Um, we briefly talked about psychology off camera. But when you talk about a body sense, so so actually being able to show with your hand, and I can't fit it on the screen, what, yeah, what yeah, it yeah. looks like at the finish, what it looks like going forward, what it looks like going yeah. in. Do you have a, a somatic sense that, that rowing is a felt body experience? So the, so the technical things you're talking about, you're trying to get your rowers to feel them. And once you feel it, you know it. What I'm not going to go into is... Um is how you explain the different ways to explain what the catch is like mechanically. Yeah. What the catch I is, I'm not gonna go there. But, but what's interesting is, so I think Mike Sprackling asked Derek Porter whether he listens to the boat while he rows it. Now, I'm not sure whether that was something that ever was said, but that is something that through the grapevine entered my brain and now I think that to happen. Mm. The thing that's interesting is, you know, depending on whatever you teach about the speed of the seat traveling, whether it's in the drive or on the recovery, okay, guess what? If the seat changes speed, it changed, the sound changes, the pitch of the sound changes. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you tell the people in the boat, oh guys, you have a bloody rush. <laughs> you can tell them something, or you can tell them, hey, why don't you listen to the, to the pitch of your seat? And all of a sudden, it's not just feeling, but then you, the auditory, okay? Sure. 
we all want to see bubbles and the bubbles are cool to see on the side of the boat, right? But then all of a sudden you start thinking, okay, so I'm the coach and I'm starting to look at the stern wave, stern wake. Everyone understands that if there's no white water coming off the stern wake, that there's a check, okay? I'm going to leave a clue, but I'm not going to say the, the, the solution. God, at what point do we look at the stern and say, it's not just a check that I'm looking at, but am I using the mechanical advantage that the boat gives you to start the next stroke? It's not about, it's not about checking. It's about something else. There's a mechanical advantage. And I'm thinking, you know, you know, it's it's interesting. When I wrote, when I was rowing the single skull, I grew up in foreign countries, right? I everywhere I went, there was a foreign kid. I was a stranger. I was the outsider. Grew up in France, eleven years. I was not. So it didn't sound like a French person. And then I went to Switzerland. My passport. But because I rode in France, I wasn't part of the rowing kids in their clubs. Okay, so I was an outsider. Go to the United States. Hey, you fuzzy foreigner. They did like me, though, because they liked me in the sense that, holy mackerel, the boats are not slow with Zeno in it. Yay. So there was a connection, right? The rowing community is great in that sense. But then I, was, I went back into the single skull, right? So everywhere was kind of my own entity. And... The reason I'm saying this is I totally lost my train of thought. But okay. Oh, yes. I look at this stuff, but I don't share it really with many people because I'm defending my own my own knowledge of, of rowing because this is my livelihood, right? What mm. I know is what gives me the freedom to work from home in my backyard. Yay, mm. right? And that has been amazing. Would I would I have liked would I have liked to one day stand on the shoreline and watch my crew win? Which is those nine people, right? Just powering down and and you think about Harry Mann and um, Martin Cross Martin Cross wrote that um Harry's crews would ghost along, okay? And you would have this crew that would ghost along and tears coming, flowing down your cheeks because you're such a freaking maniac coach and passionate. And you know they are about to win. Holy shit, this is cool. I may never experience that, but I can imagine it. Now, here's the other thing that I'm gonna say. Hats off to all you crew coaches who show up early in the morning, rain or shine, and oh gosh, the amount of hours. And, 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 and hopefully you get paid enough. Hopefully you have family time and you're not the slave to a rowing program who may or may not fully appreciate you for what you're doing. Ah! Okay, there is the glamour of standing next to a winning crew. But the amount of stuff that you guys have to go through 
in order to make that happen. Oh my gosh. You know, so I thank my lucky stars. I know the work it takes to get someone to win a race. Whew. Anyhow. All right, what else? Let's do a couple more and then we'll, we meet again. Maybe we'll just meet again. Can I? I hope so, because I'm enjoying this chat. Lewin, yours. <laughs> so so, so we, we've got like a, a last question about like the difference between being an elite athlete and like a teenager who's going for like a D1 scholarship. But there's something I, that I'm fascinated about rowing. So something um, Andy Triggs-Hodge said to us, rowing is the zero billion dollar industry. And one thing that I'm aware of, like more than like the gold and silver medal that you've done, you are a man who works in rowing. You don't work for a university. You don't work for a national squad. And you make a living in this sport. Give, give, me, give me one clue how you do that. Give me one clue, please. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for business advice here. Okay, okay. When I quit competing, I started in an indoor rowing studio. We had 12 concept two rowing machines, and the indoor rowing studio was called the Iron Horseman. It started filling up. My limitation to growing larger was the fact that I could not, not duplicate myself. There were not, I had, I couldn't run more classes than three classes a day. And I only had 12 machines in the room. People really love how entertaining I am to them. Had I had a room with 60 rowing machines or 100 rowing machines, maybe I would have started a, a freaking cult, okay? But that was not in the cards. The, um, the family budget grew so fast. With, we have four kids, right? A million animals. And, um, and luckily, I'm married to my, to my best friend. So everything held together. I realized I had to do something else. And so I always thought maybe I should broadcast my workouts, but we weren't there yet in 2004. Okay. And now everyone is broadcasting some, some, some stuff, right? But here's what separates me from most is yeah, I'm entertaining. You know, I can make people laugh because I make myself laugh. Right. Okay. okay. So when I, when I, run a class, I, I, I happen to think, holy cow, I can't believe I just said that, <laughs> right? So I'm so off the cuff, right? But a friend of mine said, Zeno, what is your true value? Your true value is to actually make people faster, really fast. That's where, that's where people say, you're the man. And, you know, it lends itself well that here in the United States, you, you get access to scholarships um, and great schools, the better the earth scores. And so, of the years of doing and, and the name growing and the reputation and the results, people find me to help their high school kid get ERG scores that end up being recruitable. 
And what's interesting is as well, right? Is when I look at people in the national team, and they're they're good, okay, good earth scores. But then you look at their technique and you say to yourself, oh, wow, why aren't they properly using their bodies, right? And we're talking about people in their five forties, so that means breaking 535 is right around the corner if they think about how to properly use their bodies right the the beauty the be, the most beautiful earth piece i've seen is the one from the aussie the one who pushed the 536 idiot he did a really good job lovely i mean and he, he doesn't look like a freaking gorilla okay and um there's something else where he could have gone even faster, but I'm not going to go there. Because who am I to say that, right? Because he's got, he's so fast, right? He doesn't want to hear it. He would, I wouldn't want to hear it. Once I'm done competing and someone had said, as you know, I know something that would have made you go faster. He said, shut the frick up. So, sorry, I should just shut the Sam hell up, right? I was nowhere near 536. Is there something that gave me a clue? Yes. Do I think 536 is, holy crap, is that fast? Yes. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of work that goes into getting that. Um, I forgot the question. Did I answer it? Yes. Basically, provide value. <laughs> make people go faster. Can, All right, can I Aaron. make an... Can I make an observation as we as we head towards yeah. signing off? So there's now a lot of rowing coaching out there and there's a lot of people trying to reinvent it. So you'll have seen it, Zeno. You, you'll have seen this crew breaks all the rules. Watch this video. This crew secret will make you go faster. Oh, 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 oh. And you watch them. I don't you, I, No idea. Oh no! There's there's tons of people saying this is the secret of faster rowing. Watch, you know this this cruise this world championship cruise just broken all the rules. This must be oh, British. No, no, the, it's not world. just it's not just British world. It's all over YouTube, all over YouTube. I'll send you oh, some really, and, you, and, and you'll go, <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, and then you you break it down, then you listen to their technical analysis, and you go, you really don't know what you're talking about, do you, Bonnie lad? Uh, uh, not you, Zeno, as in these these charlatans. No, 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 oh no, 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 no. I know exactly. You know the upside of this. The the, the upside well, is. The upside is we know. Yeah. We know the, what's right. The point that I wanted so to make long, was... Listen. Sorry. Yeah. The point no, I wanted to make was... Yeah, I think that... I think, you know, we've had 35 minutes of chat, and it could be it could have been three hours quite easily, you right. know, right. you know, with 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 beers and snacks and, and all the rest of it. It could have, it, it could have gone on. Um, I think one of the reasons that you connect, and I think one of the reasons that, um, you know, you say you know your value is, is as soon as you start talking about the blade in, in the water and pressure on the pin and the way the handle is moving and, and Harry Mahon and, and Spratlin and all of these ideas, it's obvious that you are connected to a, a deeper history of rowing. So you have a, you have a very deep understanding. Yeah. You've done it at the highest level, which means you've tried all of these things out. I imagine you've tried all of the fads and fashions and you've come back to a very pure idea of what it is. We talked briefly off camera about psychology. Wait, sorry, wait. was that, was that yeah. timeout? That's timeout. Okay. You know, what's interesting. 
is I talk about detours. Trying different things out or detours. With Harry and with Marty Aitken, who was picked by Harry to be a successor, that it was a straight laser line of technique. At no point did I have to try anything out. They led me down a path of do this, you're gonna be fast. I there was no detour. Because I was saying the other day, I was saying, um, oh, is there any shortcut? Oh, oh, good point. You were just mentioning it. Oh, this and that. No, there are no shortcuts. There are only straight lines or detours. If you try stuff out, it may not be the most direct way to get to it. It's, it becomes a detour. It'll take you even longer to get there. Because some of these coaches are what, you know, Loon and I have talked about it on the pod. They're offering what we call the silver bullet. If you do this, you will go, you will go fast. You know, everyone's looking for a really? shortcut. Yeah, everyone's looking for a shortcut. But the sense that I get from you is that a lot of these old masters, you know, whether it's if you go back even further to Fairburn and people like that, it's all about blade in the water, pressure on the pin, listening to the boat, feel, all of those things. You know, the I art. mean... Yeah. And and what I wanted to kind of conclude on was, you know, if if you've listened to this podcast, dear listeners, go and check Zeno out because he's the real deal. He knows he's yeah, he's the real deal. Now that you know, now that you know what I don't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. OK, but I am I am I am I have to be careful. But, you know, meet in a month or meet in two months. I'd love it. I love to talk to the old country, to the old world. <laughs> Sorry. The fundamentals, the fundamentals. But that's true for every part of our existence. Every part of our existence, the quality of our existence depends on our fundamentals, whether it's in rowing or how you lead your life. But Right? So, anyhow. Okay. You guys are great. Two PhDs asking me questions. Gosh, I feel important. We're talking to an Olympic gold medalist again. Another one. They keep coming on, and they're all fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, Zeno Muller. <laughs> Thank all you right, very see you guys. much. <laughs>